It's another episode of the MicroConf podcast. Welcome back. We're doing a MicroConf refresh episode today where we look at audio from one of the best MicroConf talks from the past 12 years of running the event. Today, we'll be hearing from Gia Lotti, and her talk is titled Battle-Tested Methods for Getting More Signups Without More Marketing. This talk is from our most recent MicroConf remote we did just a few months ago, and our next MicroConf remote is coming up in just a couple weeks. The focus is leveling up your SaaS sales. It happens for 90 minutes over two days, so about three hours of content, and you're going to hear from sales experts like Jen Abel from Jellyfish, John Ndege, Pete Kazanji, who wrote Founding Sales, and more. I will be there as well, hosting and emceeing. Tickets are inexpensive, it's online, and if you buy the tickets, you get the recordings when the event is done. So I'd encourage you to head over to microconf.com slash remote if you're interested. It's going to be a great event. And seriously, if you want to work on sales, you should show up to this event because there's going to be amazing content being doled out. And with that, let's dive into battle-tested methods for getting more signups without more marketing. Yeah, thanks everybody for joining. Um, I'm gonna talk through this process that Claire and I use to help companies get more signups without adding you know, more marketing into the big mix and spending on, on more marketing. So I'll just get right into it here. So uh, in general, you know, I would say we're leads obsessed just across the board. Uh, this is definitely the number one reason why people reach out to our team for help. Um, you know, but 90% of the time, what we actually discover is that top of funnel um, or leads is not actually the solution to their problem. Uh, in fact, 90% of the time, we find that uh, websites traffic volume is okay, uh, and even relatively healthy. But where things start to, you know, fall apart, so to speak, is that once people get to the website, uh, and they sign up for your product, that's really where things start to break down. So my goal is to help you figure out out of all of the opportunities you could pursue right now to grow revenue, is more traffic, more leads really your biggest opportunity? Or um, is there actually a hidden breakdown further in your customer's experience uh, where you should be spending your time? Because once you know that, uh, you can make way more informed decisions about where to invest on the marketing side of things uh, and how to invest your marketing resources and feel a lot more confident that uh, in the investment bets that you do make. So, uh, I don't actually need to introduce myself because Rob did such a great job. So I'll just pass Breeze right on through to this one. This is Claire, who Rob mentioned. Um, Claire and I uh, co-founded Forget the Funnel together. We are on a mission to abolish two things, uh, useless customer research and also generic or like spaghetti at the wall style growth tactics. We really, really hate both of those things. Um, Claire has deep expertise on the research side of things, and my MO is taking that research and turning it into revenue opportunities for companies, and these are some of the companies that we've worked with. So to tell you the story uh, and basically walk through this process of how you can get more signups, we're going to use an example, a case study, if you will, the company is called LifeLapse. Um, they're going to basically, they're my tool to, to help you uh, sort of understand and walk through the, the process. Um, it's not really all that important what they do, but effectively they are a tool that allows you to create stop motion videos in your phone. Um, at the time that we started working with them, they had a few thousand free users and paying customers. Um, the problem or the opportunity at the time is that the CEO wanted to begin targeting B2B uh, users rather than purely you know, B2C 
who uh, you know had been attracted to life labs so far. The hypothesis there was that there would be greater LTV, um, and the CEO's assumption really was we need to we need a we need a really effective sort of PR strategy, or we need to find influencers to partner with. So I'm going to skip right to the end of this, and I'm going to tell you right now what the result was in working with them. We were able to help the team increase signups by 93%. I'm going to walk you through the process that we used to do that, which is effectively this. But before we dig into exactly this process, I do want to sort of um, you know, make it clear that the process that I'm going to run through is actually um, most, is going to be most useful and most applicable to those of you who already have established demand for your product, so happily paying customers. Um, it is not as useful for pre-launch pre-launch products or customers or products rather that don't have paying customers it requires a slightly different approach. It's very related. You still can, can still get a ton of value out of this process, um, but we can talk about that maybe more at the end if that's your situation. Um, there's some specifics to actually executing and implementing this type of stuff that I'm happy to dive into the details, but um, in an effort to actually get you know all this information uh, passed on to you in 20 minutes, I'm going to breeze right past this and we can come back to it. So again, this process, getting more signups without more marketing, we'll just dive right into um, starting with identifying who we, we need to learn from. So who should we be learning from in order to get the answer to this question of where we should be focused in terms of marketing and revenue growth opportunities? And uh, not all customers are created equally. Um, and in order to learn what we need to learn, we need to ask uh, and listen to customers who fall into these three sort of categories, right? Number one, they are paying customers, stands to reason, right? We want to learn from customers who are paying us and that arguably are getting continued value from our products. So have paid us ideally, you know, twice, three times, at least a few times that we know that we're getting continued value. Also, they're happy with your product as it is today. So uh, I often describe this as your customers who you would have to pry your product out of their cold, dead hands. I, it's kind of gruesome, although we're near Halloween, so maybe it sort of fits. But the idea here is that we want to help you get more of these types of customers, right? Your happy customers. And then the other criteria in general that we'll be looking for when trying to figure out which of your customers we should learn from is those, of, uh, those customers who have gotten value recently enough that they remember what life was like before. So in general, we say anywhere between, you know, your customers who um, you acquired in the last three to six months, we can go a little bit longer than that if need be. But the idea is that we want them to have a memory of the pain and the problem that you helped them solve. And so generally, you don't want to go to your customers that have been around for a couple of years because they're going to start, you know, filling in answers and telling you what you you they think you want to hear, um, as opposed to having that real memory, right? Our, our memories tend to fail us. So in this case of LifeLapse, there was a few hundred customers that fell into this, these three categories, and so off we went. So the next thing that we need to do is discover why did these amazing customers choose our product rather than all of the other options that were available to them? And for that, we're going to rely on the jobs to be done framework. So if you're still relying on demographic data to think about your customers, um, then you may not be familiar with this comparison. Maybe some of you are, are familiar with it, though. You know, what do these two men have in common? Like, almost everything, right? They're the same age. Uh, they're both wealthy, self-employed, live outside of and spend a ton of time in London, uh, you know, love international travel, dogs, sports cars, fine wines. They both have children. They've both been married and remarried. 
they have a ton in common. And so we don't really want to rely on demographic data to learn you know, from our customers. It's not a helpful way to sort of think about them. We prefer to use the jobs to be done framework, which is based on the theory that people hire our products to get a job done. So rather than just asking people what product do they want, we want to try to understand what are they trying to achieve. So it's essentially this idea. Some of you may be familiar with this. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this. This is a, that it's the essence of what we're trying to get to, right? They buy what our product enables them to do. They buy a better version of themselves. And so now let's look at the process that we use to find out what that is. So we are going to use, in the case of Life Labs, we were able to use a survey. So is a survey as high, will it be as high quality as running interviews? Absolutely not. Um, but if you are in a position to be able to run surveys, they can be really, really effective and it can be really, really quick. It can take just you know two weeks, send an email uh, with a survey you know, and, and get responses back with a couple of follow-up emails inside of two weeks uh, is absolutely realistic. Uh, the goal for the surveys though, is that we want to get about 25 to 50 open text responses, um, which means we need to typically send this to about 300 to 500 uh, customers. So if you're in a situation where you don't have 300 to 500 customers, either because you know, you're earlier stage than that, or um, you're in the enterprise space, um, you're going to use a similar uh, process to this. You're just going to be doing it in interview format um, with about 10 to 15 interviews. So again, about 25 to 50 responses from surveys, meaning you want to send about 300 to 500 out or run about 10 to 15 interviews. This is an example of the email that we use to send the survey. We'll include, I'm going to include this email template and the survey template um, in a link at the end. So uh, you can all take grab a copy of that. But essentially, this is the idea that we we reached out to LifeLapse's best customers that fit into those categories. And we went ahead and asked, asked them some questions. So again, if you're doing interviews, you're going to be asking the same types of questions because we're trying to learn the same things. So I'm going to run through each of the questions just to sort of help illustrate what is it that we're learning and trying to learn uh, from these uh, customers, right? So prior to using our product, uh, how were you solving this problem? This question, the responses to this question will give you a picture of what life was like before. So what solution are you asking your customers to switch away from? What solution are you asking them to fire in order to hire yours? Um, this is probably the best and most important question of the entire survey. When did you realize you needed something like us? What was going on in your world, right? So um, this one gets you that critical insight into that trigger moment. Um, and you can imagine how many doors sort of open up for you when you understand, um, you know, this for your customers. I mean, marketing lives in this space, but also this is your problems, the problem space that you live in. Um, really, really critical to understand this uh, for those best customers. How did you find out about us? I don't really need to explain this one. You know, who did they talk to? Where did they go? Um, why did you decide to choose us over the other options? This question gives you your key differentiators, right? Why they should choose you over the other options. This is gold. Um, this question, right? What deal breakers would have prevented you from choosing our product? This gives you insight into anxieties, objections, um, you know, those types of things, which are very important to know. Um, and then my other favorite question is when you signed up, what happened that made you feel certain, you know, that this was right for you? 
I mean, just think about what you can do with the answers to this question, right? Um, this insight is incredible. Imagine actioning this across not only your marketing and, and your, you know, your website, but your product onboarding. Um, it's so, so powerful, the answers to this question. So love this one. And then, of course, uh, now that you have us in your life, what are you able to do now that you weren't able to do before? That's that better life, that desired outcome, right? Uh, we want to help customers reach this point, of course, but also use this knowledge on our website and throughout our customer experience as that sort of promise of that better life. This is what they're they're going for. Now, one thing that you might notice is that, and I mentioned this already, these are all open text fields, and uh, none of this is multiple choice. And the reason for that is that the voice of customer that you are, you know, capture, if it's a survey open text field, obviously, if it's an interview, you're going to record uh, the call and transcribe it. That voice of customer is so critical. You also might be noticing, as I went through the questions, that for each customer, we have this sort of documentary of how they met and fell in love with your product. Um, and that's super, super powerful. So when we have those answers, the next thing that we need to do is look for patterns. So this is an example of like a Google Sheet and, a, and an Airtable base for basically how we'll parse responses. We're going to go question by question and look for themes. Um, you know, those themes are going to help us identify the different customer jobs, uh, you know, our customers hire our product to solve. Um, and chances are you're going to identify a few key customer jobs. Um, there's going to be a few, you know, there's going to be like two or three standouts. When I say customer jobs, by the way, just as a, as a sort of sidebar here, where what we find, and if you're familiar with the jobs to be done theory, the customer job statement is a really helpful way for sort of encapsulating what these different groups uh, the jobs of these different groups. And so you can imagine how you would sort of um, apply the responses to those questions to this customer statement. Um, and you'll likely end up with two or three. So we have a decision to make because we cannot continue talking to everybody, right? We want to have really effective and resonant messaging and, and marketing and, and product experiences. And so we need to decide, right? which one of these groups, which one of these customer jobs represents the biggest opportunity for us. And there's a few ways we can make that decision. These are just some of the criteria that we can use to make that call. So I'll explain the criteria and then I'll show you and explain what we did for Life Labs. So understanding value, right? These are the customers that don't need convincing. They don't need much handholding. They implicitly understand what value your product provides. Um, the other one, I mean, it stands to reason, right? Very obvious. Uh, do they have a willingness to pay, a high willingness to pay? Do they understand the value of paying for a product like yours? Do, is there a, a, a line item in their budget already for a product like yours? Um, do they pay for similar types of products like yours, high willingness to pay? And then long-term potential, this could actually represent a couple things. One is that this is not a one-and-done problem that they have. This is likely um, you know, a problem that they'll want to solve over the long-term. Also, long-term potential, you might see opportunities for expansion, right, to help them solve additional challenges after you help them solve that initial job to be done. Um, and then probably the most important one on this list is that they have an urgent problem to solve, right, uh, especially now 
We do not want to be selling vitamins. We want to be selling painkillers. So as much as possible, we want to identify and, and prioritize, if we can, those customers that have an urgent problem to solve. Those are going to be the easiest uh, customers to sort of resonate with. You always want to be a painkiller, not a vitamin. Um, there's a couple other criteria that you might want to consider as well. For instance, industries that you have an unfair advantage in. Another interesting one sometimes to consider is um, do these customers congregate in a way that make them easy to market to? That's another one you might want to consider. But in general, this is how we would prioritize one customer job over another when, when we're parsing that research. And so for Life Labs, it sort of panned out like this, right? They had there were three do dominant jobs. We eliminated one quite easily. We didn't focus on that one, but then we had a decision to make between two. So the first group was newer to content creation and stop motion. They were the biggest group by far, tons of established demand already, um, but they were more likely to be using the tool um, and content for personal use versus a second group, which represented more experienced creators, smaller group, but more likely to be representing a brand or business selling something, likely to already be paying for other content creation tools and experiencing a real pain versus just you know curiosity. So we dug in with a customer job, like the second customer job. So now our job is to figure out Finding to the, we have to identify the gaps between you know them and you um, of this key group. Are we even speaking this person's language? So we have to keep our mind our mind's eye on that job to be done. Do we address that in our materials? And an easy place to start to answer that question is the homepage. So this is Life Labs homepage when we started working with them. The message messaging was very focused on speed, um, which is there's nothing inherently wrong with this homepage. I mean, it looks okay, it looks relatively good, but um, it was focused primarily on speed. But when we went to the actual voice of customer with the actual words and phrases that these ideal customers use, we have to ask ourselves, are we, are we speaking their language or are we using our own jargon? Um, do we address their biggest anxieties that might be holding them back? Do we highlight the benefits and features that they care about most versus what we think they should care about? Um, and with Life Labs, we see that it was all about creating, you know, creative and engaging content, right? You can see exciting and eye-catching, um, elevate my content, creative. We see that there's a very different focus. And so, what we did was we leaned into engagement, beautiful, eye-catching. You know, we swiped, you know, their copy right from the voice of customer. Um, and we still mentioned speed, but it's not the focus. Um, and so you can see there's a stark contrast in the value proposition here, right? And in the messaging strategy here. And I, I already gave away what the results were. 93% increase in signups on the website when we updated the, the messaging strategy in this direction. Just remember, the CEO came to us thinking that they had an acquisition problem, right? Wanting to launch PR uh, campaigns and influencer you know, style campaigns. But after a couple of conversations, a really simple survey, um, it was clear that the product marketing and positioning and the messaging was the real opportunity. Zeroed in on that ideal customer, lifted messaging and copy straight from the survey results. And uh, you know, the results were, were incredible. We did it really quickly. We spent no money on uh, any trying any new channels or any marketing experiments. Um, similar process was used when working with Meet Edgar, identified uh, you know, an ideal customer job, lifted that new messaging, three pages updated on their website. My, the fav my favorite part about this story is that the trial to paid conversion rate increased 40%. We didn't touch anything but three pages on the website. Um, so that just goes to show you what a, what a higher quality, better 
product fit customer coming through the front door can do um, with not a big lift. Autobooks, similar style uh, research done here. In this case, it was interviews, increased signups, but also product usage. Spark Toro, Amanda uh, spoke yesterday, I believe. Um, Amanda was able to run with, uh, you know, we ran surveys for Spark Toro and identified that better messaging and lifted the VOC. And she was able to update the onboarding experience and double the child to pay conversion rate for them. And they came to us, they had lots of signups, just not enough people converting into becoming customers. And so this was really, really powerful for them. I'm gonna stop because I'm running into just a bunch of examples. There's lots more examples where this came from similar with uh, Sprout Social. So hopefully, what I, what I hope everybody is sort of picking up on from this is that top of funnel, more traffic, you know, it's often our white whale and, and we, you know, we look to that for growth uh, all too often. This is especially true, going to be true in 2023, you know, increasing revenue might actually be much closer to home than you think. Uh, traffic is really, really expensive. Marketing experiments are super costly. I take a ton of your team's time or your time. So once you've optimized your messaging and your customer experience to match your ideal customer job to be done, right? Really understand what's invaluable to them. Then when you can turn up the dial on marketing, you'll feel so much more confident that uh, you're going to get that ROI from that marketing and that it's actually going to be worth all that effort and, and that investment. So um, the other thing that I hope too is that it's really obvious to everybody that not only is this a really actionable way to drive more signups for your product in terms of messaging, but the answers to the questions that you know I ran through there from your ideal customers gives you Yes, you can update your website for sure, but you can also update your product onboarding. You've got you've got insight into what activation, you know, meaningful activation and engagement looks like for your best customers. So you can de develop KPIs and understand that more holistic customer experience for them opens up uh, customer marketing opportunities, expansion marketing opportunities, and then yes, of course, awareness-focused marketing to get you more traffic, of course. Um, so uh, as Rob mentioned, we did write a book on this topic. It's super practical, like a step-by-step -step guide. Uh, it is available in pre-sale right now. The print version is going to be available uh, in early 2023, but there is a digital version available right now. And then as promised, the resources that I mentioned are available at that link uh, in there. There's the email template and the survey questions. If anybody has any questions about running survey, I'm sorry, interviews and the specific interview questions, you can shoot me an email. Maybe my email address is on the slide there. If I've left anything out or you have any questions, uh, obviously we also work with teams uh, running sprints in this format and that should be it for me. Um, I have not been able to pay attention to the chat, but hopefully, um, oh, I'm taking a look now and I, I am seeing there's a couple things in here. So Rob, I don't know if you are um, around and want to jump back in. I'm around. Hello. Yeah, cool. let's do, let's do some questions. Um, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna start us off because I have at least two questions okay. out of my own head, having seen that. I love the okay. example of you have this survey, you learn a bunch, and then you change you change a headline and and it it you know or you change all the copy and it it. Uh, mm -hmm converts to more trials or to more um, purchases. Yeah. How, you mentioned that SparkToro hmm. did a similar process, but they yep. then they already had people signing up for trial and it was that they weren't converting, right? So it wasn't like I, right. you, you didn't change copy on a page for them. There was something around onboarding or, or whatever. Could you summarize? Like, what, what did you do there? Because I'm fascinated by that next step. Yeah, yeah. So, so the product onboarding or product activation step, you mean? Yeah. yeah. So it, it's really... Honestly, this type of research gives you a 
I won't call it copy because this isn't really about copy. It's more about messaging strategy. But the other thing that this research provides you is insight into what matters to customers, which then allows you to map that to the specific parts of the product that deliver that value. And that's the tie for product onboarding and product activation. So we can, I mean, it, it, it stands to reason too that if you can connect what matters to customers and those sort of value themes to the specific parts of the product, yes, put that on your website for sure, but also carry through that message in your product experience. And so for SparkToro, that's what we did. We had identified those value themes, but they weren't being leveraged inside of the product when somebody signed up for the, or, you know, started a, a free account with SparkToro. And so that's what the team was able to do. And I like full credit to Amanda on that. She executed like perfectly, uh, but she was able to, connect the specific parts of the product and what parts of the product to introduce and in what order. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I want to jump to a question from an audience member. Ben asks, mm -hmm. if some customers have been with us for a while, a year or two, yeah. would you recommend skipping those customers? It sounds like only new customers are the most helpful. So um, this, one's, this one is tricky. I would say don't do it. The reason being is that the world in which they may have made this purchase decision might be a completely different world than today. So that's true because of the pandemic, but it's also true because of the recession. And so if somebody you know, was making a purchase decision when uh, we were in an economic boom, that's very different than somebody you know, in, a, in a recessionary market or post pandemic, uh, the decision-making criteria, you know, the 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 um, the criteria that you needed to hit on was probably a little bit different. So I would recommend more recent because of that reason, but also because of the sort of recency thing that I mentioned when I was uh, when I was running through it, which is we want those people that remember what life was like before and. Two years is a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, we've stretched to nine months, but we mm -hmm. don't like to go that far if we can avoid it. Mm -hmm. Honestly, if there's not enough, just do interviews with your more recent customers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is is there, well, I have I have two more questions. Um, one is, <laughs> so we've talked about converting, you know, you did the example of converting from they hit the page and they convert to a trial. And then we mm -hmm. talked about um, uh, SparkToro where it's like they're in a trial and it's onboarding. Yeah. Have, have you used this to go out and find more? Like, I do want more top of funnel. Like, let's say I, I just have a trickle and now I know, oh my gosh, this one group really, really, and it's not by demographic, but it's by, uh, you know, the things you talked about. H how do you translate that into like a marketing approach? So do you mean for a group of customers that you don't like for a group of customers you don't yet have? Or, or you have a trickle of them? Okay. You know, let's say, let's say I have an audience of, you know, 5,000 on my email list and okay. I have a SaaS app and they're, and, and then I've emailed all of them and I have 50 customers and it's like, oh my gosh, this one segment really gets a lot. Like, what do I do next? Like, do I right. run Facebook? You know, I, I'm just curious if you have done that before. Yeah. I mean, it happens a lot, right? Where it's kind of the same process where you figure out, oh, these are actually our highest value customers. These are the customers that we want more of. And they represent, you know, a subset of our existing customer base. I would say, talk to those specific customers. Mm -hmm. And when you have, when you ask these, this style of question, you're going to get a ton of insight into, you know, where they were when they realized they wanted to solve this problem, who they talked to, where they go to, and then you can sort of follow that um, you know, the, that path and, and go down those rabbit holes and, and learn more about that space. Uh, you know, we use SparkToro, uh, not to, not to SparkToro all over this, mm -hmm. but SparkToro is a great tool to do that. But the source 
of where you're looking should be based in those customers, not in people who you know, may have an interest in your product or may one day be interested in paying for your product, you should always prioritize those customers that are already validated as, you know, getting value and have a willingness to pay uh, versus audience research. Now, there's scenarios where you may not have any customers in that segment, in which case your only choice is to do audience research. But as long as you have even a handful, I would absolutely recommend start by getting on, you know, a call with them asking this style of questions to them. And then after that, uh, going out into the world, so to speak, and, and to those watering holes to learn more about them. Yeah, very nice. Matthew has a question for you. He asks, mm -hmm. how would you approach a product that solves different problems for different user groups? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, complicated. <laughs> I need Don't more. do that, is that how you'd approach it? <laughs> I need more information, different yeah. problems for different and different products. So. That sounds like two different products to me, right? Uh, borderline. I mean, actually, I have worked with um, a company in exactly this situation recently, um, where it was two very unique products, but they were and two different plans. And actually, through the research, we realized only one of them was bringing people through the front door. Only one of them actually, um, you know, represented a big opportunity, a bigger opportunity. And in truth, the one of the products represented the best sort of go-to-market motion and the other product represented a great expansion um, opportunity post-acquisition for that first problem, so to speak. Does that make sense? I don't know if that answers this question. Obviously, I would need more. Yeah, um, you kind of have to dig in and tell us more. Yeah. yeah. So, Gia, thank you so much for coming out. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, that's our last question of the day and uh, hope we connect with you soon.